So, happy Father's Day, one, to my dad, if you're watching online, which you better be. <laughs> happy Father's Day to the dads in the room and those of you watching online, and just happy Father's Day to anybody who is taking on like a fatherly-like role in someone's life. Now, my name is Brian Cobbley. I'm the youth director here, and that is a picture of my wonderful family up there, and I promise this photo... This photo is not edited, but I will say that there was many times that we had to hold Cade down for this picture because he just wanted to pick his nose the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. I'm pretty sure there's like 200 shots of him picking his nose while we took this picture. But I love being a dad for moments like that where I'm you know, trying to teach him to not do that, but also laughing because he is doing it. Of, I, love, I love failing. I love, I love trying. But I will tell you, when I... When Audrey and I had a discussion of we wanted to start our family, I had no idea what I was getting into when I said yes to being a father. Now, I know, you know people tell you all the time, and I heard it all the time, that people's like, your life is going to change. And I remember hearing those conversations, I would tell people all the time, like, yeah, duh, like, I don't have a kid now, I'm going to have a kid, and I just need to be ready to wake up in the middle of the night when he cries. But I will tell you, I had no idea how much my life was going to change. I, ha I just felt like I really wasn't prepared for it. No book really could help me to prepare my son to, to make brushing your teeth fun, where I'm just trying to sing a song that I'm making up so he can brush his teeth. Nothing prepared me for that. Nothing prepared me to try and have a discussion with him of why potty training is a great idea if you want to be a productive citizen of this world. And... <laughs> why the bathroom is not a scary place. And I wasn't prepared for my son to break into a beanbag chair, which should be called a little styrofoam ball chair, to grab those little styrofoam balls, stick seven up his nose, go to the doctor for them to only get, get all of them except for one, to buy medicine to keep that one stuck in there, so we can go back to the doctor the next day to just have him shoot it out of his nose later that night. <laughs> Nothing prepared me for, for that. I had no idea what I was getting into with my son, Cade. And my son, Cade, had no idea what he was getting from me. See, we, as, as parents, or anybody here who is responsible for children... We are giving things to our kids, whether it's intentional or not. So like, for instance, like go back to, to the things I wasn't prepared for. How I respond to Cade not brushing his teeth, he is getting something from me. How I respond to him being afraid to use the bathroom, to use the toilet, he is getting something from me. And when I laughed really hard, when he shot that styrofoam ball out of his nose, he, it probably taught him to do that again. And I hope he did not get that from me. But you see, we, we as people who are responsible for kids, we are giving stuff to our kids, whether we are intentional or not. Whether we're intentional or not, kids are getting something from us. So that means that we have influence. We have influence over, over the people that we are responsible for. You know, and we are intentional to give things to our kids. If you guys 
think about it. You, you're intentional to give your kids you know, family, family values or just life lessons that are going to help your kid be a productive citizen. You, know, you, you want to be intentional to give them the, the life lessons, the family values, and, and possessions, and how to treat the possessions. But then there are things that we're not intentional to give. To talk about my son again, I hoped, even though I see hints of it, that he doesn't get my anger. I hope that he doesn't get my sarcasm, which I see it. And I hope that he doesn't get some mannerisms. However, he does get some of my mannerisms. And I'm going to share a story with you guys today of a mannerism. I don't know if this is called mannerism, but something that he got from me that terrifies me. And I'm going to share a story with you guys that I have, that, that only my family know this. I consider you all family, so I'm going to share this with you. And I just want you guys to know, like, my closest friends don't know this story. So, when I was a child, I had a difficult time falling asleep like normal people. Now, what I mean by normal people is normal people can just lay down, put their head on a pillow, close their eyes, and go to sleep. To me, that is a superpower for those who can do that. But I have to move when I was going to sleep as a kid. And it wasn't just slight movements. It wasn't, you know, rubbing something soft that would soothe me. It wasn't rocking back and forth. It wasn't shaking my foot like I do now as an adult. No, it had to be aggressive movements. And what it turned into was when I would get my pillow, and I would lay my pillow down, I would bang my head back and forth like I was listening to heavy metal music until I fell asleep. And I'll be honest with you guys, I have no idea if it made me tired or it gave me a concussion. But that was the only way I could fall asleep. Now, I do know that it drove people nuts. I know it drove my brothers crazy. It drove my parents crazy. Anybody walking by the bedroom, it drove them crazy. And I knew going into middle school, yes, middle school, so up to 11 years old, that I had to stop this habit because, you know, I thought maybe some people might want to invite me over to their house and (laughs) to like spend the night. And I didn't want to do that in front of people, so I had to learn not to do that. Now, I do have a question. Does anybody in this room also, also was that as a child? Anybody? Okay, I I was really hoping we all had that problem, and we are all just trying to keep it from each other. But no, I am the only person. However, I am not the only person in the room who does that, because the other night, putting my son to sleep. (laughs) Did I not witness that future headbanger just smacking his pillow to go to sleep? And all I can think about was why, how, how did he get that from me? And just thought about all the years that he's going to have some insecurities to break that habit and turning into a functioning adult who still has to shake his foot. So, guys, we... Whether it is intentional or not, our kids are getting something from us. That means we have influence. We have influence to help shape who they are. We have influence to help them 
go in great directions, and we have influence to help them or <laughs> guide them to, to bad directions. You know, we have the influence to help them with stuff that we have dealt with as, uh, when we were that age, or just be a great voice for things that we haven't dealt with, but they know that we will always be there for them when any issues arise. And see, the thing about influence, when we as adults, as parents, or anybody just responsible for people, when we have influence, it usually comes with concerns. Concerns for the well-being of those that we care for. And now I know that you in this room have concerns for people. And I know this because we sent a survey out to the dads of Arbor to see what concerns that they have with their children. Now, the people who answered the survey range from having infants to having grown adults with infants. It was amazing to see all the different concerns. And I want to read some to you guys and, and just see, can you relate to these concerns? Someone with a grown adult says that their concern is that their child uh, will find a lifelong partner who loves them and follow Jesus. Someone with a preschooler says that their concern is keeping the youngest engaged and enjoying Sunday service and curbing some bad behavior with his teachers while at school. Someone with a preschooler and a school age said that they grow up to be self-respecting women and are concerned about the impact social media will have on them and their self-image. Someone with an infant, a toddler, and a preschooler they're concerned, and they just asked a question, am I raising them up right? Very relatable. I read a lot of, of wanting their, their kids to love and fear God. I read one that says how to lay stepping stones of being a man. And there was one who said, I have lots of concerns, and listed like 20 of them. <laughs> All relatable. Another one which I loved, this was their concerns. One, having a relationship with Christ. Two, worry of outside influences, impressionable young hearts, concerned with addictions they might fall into. Three, attitude towards work and controlling their tongues, generally setting them up to be functioning adults. Four, concern that they may never leave the house. <laughs> and five, concerned for safety of, and examples are running into the street, kidnapped or mauled by a bear. So, and then, this one's my personal favorite that this person has a concern. This is a person with a school-aged child says their concern is that they turn out like Brian. <laughs> now, that is, a, that is a valid concern. We don't need a bunch of people smashing their heads in the pillows in this world, in this world so valid. But I will tell you, when I read that one, I wanted to narrow this down to like three people who I think would have written this. But there is way too many people that, to write this. I realized that I've created this type of relationship with you people, so I just want to say I'm sorry from the bottom of my heart. I'm sorry that you don't want your child to turn out like me, but very valid. Now we, with influence, we have concerns over our kids, and they are some real concerns. And this morning, we are going to look at an event in Scripture where there was a parent, a father, who had a really big concern, and that concern was that his child was sick. So if you guys have your Bibles, can you go to John 4, 43 through 54? And here, we are going to see what a father does with his concerns, what his father does with the concerns that he has and the intentionality 
that he does with this, with his influence. So I'm going to read it for us. Starting in verse 43, it says, After two days, he departed for Galilee, he being Jesus. After two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he, he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. To give you guys context, the moment in history that this takes place is right after Jesus spends two days in Samaria. Now, if you guys remember what happens there, in the beginning of John chapter 4, Jesus takes his disciples into Samaria, and he encounters a woman at the well. And now, after talking, to, talking with this woman, Jesus pretty much tells this woman everything that she has ever done and because of that, she believes him to be the Messiah. So she runs back into town and tells everybody, come, come see the man that has told me everything that I have done. And it says that so many people started to believe that Jesus was the Messiah based upon this woman's testimony. But what we read and what we see is it goes beyond this woman's testimony because in, in verse 42 of this same chapter, the people speaking says, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They believed Jesus at his word. Now this was an incredible missionary trip that Jesus did. That he got so many of the Samaritans to believe. Now if you guys remember... At this time, there's tension between the Jewish and the Samaritan people. Both of them thinking that they are doing it correct while they think the other one is doing it wrong. Even when Jesus encounters the woman at the well, she gets into a religious debate with Jesus about how the Samaritans are actually worshiping God correctly. But Jesus, being a Jewish person, got the Samaritans to believe that he is the Savior just by his words. This was a successful trip. This was an amazing trip. And then Jesus returns to his hometown with his people, to a bunch of people who just want to see a miracle. They just want to see signs and wonders because they witnessed it before. It says, and we're going to go back and, and, and read uh, and break this down. Back in 43, it says, After two days he departed from Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, 
having, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. John writes that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And I think he writes this because I believe that's what Jesus is feeling. I think he's feeling just a lack of honor from his own people, a group of people wanting to see more miracles and not just believing him on his word. And even, even like as you get a crowd wanting to see a miracle, you even have a person in this crowd who's asking for a very specific miracle that his son would be healed. It says in verse 46, it says, so when he came to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine, in that Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So there's some things that we don't know about this father. You know, we don't know his age. We don't know his name. We don't even know if he is a Jew or a Gentile. But what we do know, what we get from this text, is that this is an official, or as some translations put, this is a nobleman, which many scholars would say that he was working under King Herod. So this was a man with influence. And what we also see is that this man with great influence has a sick son, a sick son to the point of death. So when he hears that Jesus is coming home, he makes a trip to see him. Now this trip that he makes is about a 20 mile journey as the crow flies. So possibly even longer. And what we see in the story is this is about a two-day journey, but it's worth it. It's worth it because he loves his son, and he wants his son healed. So he goes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus to heal his son. Now, Jesus's response surprises me. He was a little harsh, but when you remember that where he came from and the amount of success that he had with the Samaritans to the heart of the people right now, it kind of makes sense. But Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, one thing to note that our English Bibles have a hard time showing you, but if you open your Bibles, you might see a little footnote by the word you. When Jesus says, unless you see you will not believe. This is actually in the plural form in Greek. So this tells us that Jesus is not addressing this father alone. He is addressing this whole crowd. He is calling them out based upon their faith and, and just wanting to see him do something amazing. Again, it's harsh because of what happened with the, with the Samaritans. As people who everybody in this crowd would despise now has a place in heaven that his own people should have. It's just frustrating Jesus. And so this is his response. But the father doesn't quit there. He doesn't give up. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. See, this man wants a miracle like everyone else, but he has a very specific one in mind. He wants Jesus to come back to his house and heal his son. Now, let's, let's put ourselves in, in his shoes. His father's son is about to die. He makes a two-day journey. And can you imagine 
the conversations that he had with himself on this two-day journey, the, the words that he may have been practicing that he was going to convince Jesus to heal his son. Like, he rehearsed it. He knew what he was going to say. So maybe Jesus might show pity, might show grace, might show mercy, might show love to get his son healed. And then maybe thinking about he's heard that this is a great guy, so obviously he's going to, to heal his son. That when he shows up, he finds a frustrated Jesus. Now, in our world, imagine you want to ask your boss for a raise. Or if you can think back when you were a teenager, wanting to ask your parents for something big, or maybe you can remember your kids doing this, something huge that you know is going to be a big ask, and you prep yourself, you're rehearsing, you, you know what you're going to say to either convince your parents or guilt your parents to getting you this expensive car or something, and then as you like, have those butterflies in your stomach ready to make the request, you find that this person has had like, the worst day possible, super frustrated that you're like, you know what, maybe... I'm going to wait for another opportunity to bring this up. This dad did not have that luxury. He didn't have the luxury to wait for another opportunity. So he begs and asks Jesus to come down, come to his house and heal his son. But Jesus does not go with him to his house. Instead, he tells his father, Go, your son will live. And it states that the father believed the word that Jesus spoke and he went on his way. Amen. Now, I want to go on a, a little tangent here because I think this is cool. I was going to save this for the podcast, but I don't know if you all watch our follow-up podcast. So I'm going to tell you guys now this little note because I love this. You know, I started asking myself the question, did Jesus do what he wanted, what this father wanted? And then I started asking, well, did Jesus do what this whole crowd wanted? They all wanted a miracle. And Jesus performed this miracle. But he didn't do it in a way that any of them were expecting. This crowd saw Jesus perform a miracle. They just didn't see it actually happen. And this father got his son healed, but he didn't, Jesus didn't come down to the house. And this is the point that I want to say based upon that little tangent is you know, sometimes Jesus works in ways that we're not expecting. But we can do just like the Father did and believe Jesus at his word. Now I'm back on the sermon. See, the Father believed Jesus at his word. He didn't push Jesus like, no, 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 come on. Just come to my house. I know my son will be healed if you just come to my house. He didn't push Jesus to come. He didn't even say, well, well, prove it because I'm about to make two day, a two-day journey. Prove that my son is healed. No, he believed Jesus at his word. And so he makes the journey back home, which again was two days. And I can't imagine what was going through this father's head as he was going back home. If it was me, I would have made a two-day journey a one-day sprint to figure out if my son was actually healed. But luckily, he didn't have to wait long because the next day, he was met halfway by his servants who told him that his son was recovering. And after doing the investigation, asking them of when the recovery started happening, he realized that it happened the same time that Jesus said, go, your son will live. Now, how amazing is that? 
Even a frustrated Jesus still hears our concerns and our heart. Even a frustrated Jesus. See, this is an amazing story. This is an amazing story about a father. But the story doesn't end there because something even better happens out of this. It says that the father believed and so did his whole household. He believed and his whole household believed. Because of his example, everybody in his house got saved. Because of his example of seeking Jesus, humbling himself to the Messiah, trusting Jesus with his word, with his son, his whole household seen this, and they also submitted and trusted Jesus. The boy was saved, but even better, the whole household was saved because of the example of this father. We have influence. The dads in this room or anybody who is responsible for anybody, we have influence. And, and with that role, we're giving things to our kids, whether it is intentional or not. And I don't, I don't think this dad is intentional giving this, but based upon his example, the whole household was saved. He was intentional of seeking Jesus, but something better came out of it. There's a worship song that if you have been talking to me in the last week or two weeks, I've talked about this song a lot. I love this song. If you guys, on your way home, look up the song because it's incredible. It is called Talking with Jesus. It is by, <laughs> it is by Elevation. And guys, I love this song. It is a man singing about the different, different examples that he had in life with his grandma praying and talking with Jesus to his mom being an example of his life, talking with Jesus to him raising his kids. Now, if you don't mind, I am going to sing this for you guys because I think that this is such a good song. (laughs) Thanks, Lincoln. (laughs) So here's how the song goes. It says, I've got three of my own now, trying to raise them up right. My oldest is 15, and I remember what that was like. Trying to deal with the drama, trying to figure out the questions in life. And I've been looking for a way to show them how to make things all right. Then he walked in my room as I was singing my praise the other night. He said, I'll come back later. I can tell you've got a lot on your mind. I said it's not an interruption. You couldn't have picked a better time. Cause I was just talking to Jesus. Come over and give it a try. We started talking to Jesus. We started talking to Jesus. We started talking to Jesus. Oh, and now he's talking to Jesus. Thank God he's talking to Jesus. I hope he's talking to Jesus for the rest of his life. And the rest of the song just talks about talking with Jesus and what a friend we have in Jesus, guys. Listen to that song. 
But we have an, we as a father, <laughs> we as fathers, we have people in this room, our example will go further than you can imagine, will go farther than you can imagine. Let's look at the example of this father again. He has a sick son. And I, I have to imagine has exhausted every resource that he had available to him, which as an official, as a nobleman under King Herod, he would have had so many resources available to him to get his son the best help possible. But nothing was working. But he didn't give up hope. Instead, he went to where our hope is found from. He went to Jesus for help. He sought Jesus to heal his son. He put the life of his son in the hands of Jesus. He asked Jesus for help. And if you ask me, I think that was the first miracle, is a father asking for help. I'm just speaking for myself. But I think him asking for help was the first miracle. And his example shows complete dependency on Jesus. His actions show that only Jesus can help. And because of this example, his whole household was saved. This man had quite a bit of influence in his home. And with that example, with the influence, it wasn't just a healing for his son. It was a healing for the whole family. In church, we should be doing the same thing with the influence that we have. Our example for those that we have concerns over, our example for those that we're giving things to intentionally are not. Our example should show that we too are seeking Jesus. It should be evident with our actions. It should be evident with what we're saying. It should be evident with all of us that we are seeking Jesus in everything. Church, we are giving things to our kids with this influence, whether we like it or not, whether we're intentional or not. So let's be intentional. Let's be intentional with our example of seeking Jesus. I'll say it again. Let's be intentional with our example of seeking Jesus. And it's a tough task. I understand that. But we're giving them something. Let's be intentional with what we're giving. Now, if you are wondering, okay, how do I start this? How do I start this big ask? Well, to be honest with you, you can start anywhere. Let's be intentional with our example of seeking Jesus in his word. Let's, let's be intentional with our example of seeking Jesus in, in, our, in, our, in our words. Let's be intentional of seeking Let's be intentional of our example of seeking Jesus and how we treat people. You can start anywhere. But if you are like, okay, really, I need like a first step. Well, Arbor can help you with that first step by, if you are the first person in your family who hasn't been baptized, then get baptized <laughs> next week. You want to see your whole, your whole household do it? It starts with you. You can sign up for baptisms and take that first step and take that first plunge and then see what happens afterwards. Amen. Or if you want something today, the worship team is going to come back up right now. And I'm going to ask, I didn't know if they're going to do this, but I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up here. And let's do what that song said. Let's do what that father did. And let's be intentional with our example of seeking Jesus in prayer. 
those concerns that you have with the people that you're responsible for, just come up and pray about them. Pray for them. Those are just two ways that you can be an example. And another one is just keep seeking Jesus every Sunday by coming to church or, or, or watching online or do whatever you need to do so that your example can just cast to everybody in your family. Your example should show, should show that we are seeking Jesus. So let's be intentional. Let's pray. Prayer team, come up here so people can be ready to, to pray for their family members.